0: If I show you some common everyday items and ask you if you knew what they were, you'd probably think that I'm crazy. But what if I told you that you indeed are not using these items to their fullest potential? For example, if you've ever made a mess by dipping a spoon in a saucepan of food and then leaving that spoon out on the countertop, then this handy trick will be a lifesaver. Almost every saucepan has a hole in the handle and you can use this to balance the spoon and save yourself cleanup after. Or take Tic Tacs. You know, uh, when you violently shake the, the container of Tic Tacs onto your palm, it seems as though you'll always either get no Tic Tacs or seven Tic Tacs. Well, you can avoid that altogether by setting, by letting the mint gently glide onto that tiny little lid crevice. Or take, for example, headrests. If you've ever been a bored passenger waiting in a car for the driver to get their act together, then you might have noticed that the headrests actually come all the way out. And you might kind of wonder, that seems a bit useless. Why would they do that? Well, there's one particular reason that you might want to know about. If you're ever trapped in a car, then in case of an emergency, these removable headrests can be used to break a window and you can get to safety. I pray that day never comes, but the more you know. These things might make me wonder, what else am I not getting? And not just the inconsequential stuff like tic-tacs and headrests. I'm talking about really grasping big, meaningful stuff. As we hit the end of chapter 3 in our series on Ephesians, I think Paul pauses here to tell his readers to hold on, wait a minute, you really need to know how much God loves you. You might not be fully understanding this. Like, like like, he really, really loves you. He loves you in ways that, that don't make sense. And you might not know how much he loves you, but experiencing this love fills you up with what Paul calls, calls the measure of all the fullness of God. <clears throat> this summer sermon series is called God Did So I Can. The first half of Ephesians is all about exploring what God has done for us And Paul is beginning to wrap up this first part here at the end of chapter 3. He spent the first few chapters explaining the things that God has done. He chose you. He shares his power. He makes you alive. He breaks down walls between you and other people. He sets you free. He gives you confidence. And then he writes this, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Did you notice here in verse 14 that Paul says he has bowed before the knees of his father? For us today that might not get our attention but for jews in the first 10th century that might have gotten their attention it was not necessarily custom for jews to kneel while praying unless they were confident that god was going to hear their prayers and come through usually they would kind of stand and kind of rock back and forth similar to what you might see at the western wall in jerusalem today for a jew to kneel it was kind of an extraordinary event We see Jesus kneeling in Gethsemane on the eve of his death, and Solomon knelt at the dedication of the temple. Now there appears to be two reasons here that Paul is kneeling during his prayer. One, the impact of the revelation that he had been given to share is huge, and the confidence he has in God's plan is great. And two, he's found kind of like a, a soul healing fulfillment in God's love here. That's a big deal, and he pauses to kneel and to pray for his friends. And in Paul's prayer, he makes four petitions for the church. He makes a petition for strength, he makes a petition for depth, he makes a petition petition for comprehension, and he makes a petition for fullness. And then he ends it all up with a benediction. So first, Paul's petition for strength in verse 16. This part sounds like, like a mound visit to me or, or a halftime locker room pep talk you know where the coach kind of comes in he's like look man it's the bottom of the ninth you got two outs you might not think you have anything left but i want you to remember how you got here i want you to trust your stuff you're not alone out there the whole team is there behind you and sink down deep and find that strength you got left something like that his prayer is all about reaching that climactic revelation that the fullness of god is right here with you he says out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you So where does this strength come from? Well, it's coming from all the things that God has done, from the riches of God's glory. He chose you, He unites you, He sets you free, He gives you power, He makes you alive. That's what makes you strong. The reader should maybe pause here for a minute and take a little bit of an inventory and ask, hey, what what do I think makes me strong? Have I relied on other sources for strength, like my personality or my ability to overcome adversity? or my bank account, or my status, or my attitude of things. Paul is saying you aren't going to win on those things. That's not where your strength comes from. You have to consider what God has done for you. That's your source of strength. I love Marvel movies. And while Captain America is not my favorite superhero, I, I do love the story of Captain America's strength. He has this super serum drug flowing through his veins, uh, but the real source of his strength has to do with his character. Without it, he's really just a weak guy with big muscles. So, so what is your source of strength then? Paul continues, he says uh, that he prays for you to be strong with, with power through his spirit in your inner being. What's Paul saying here? Well, he clarifies all of this strength is the Holy Spirit in your life as a source of your power. This is a concept I think I often skip over, the the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in my life. This this is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in my life. The same Spirit that was with God in the beginning when all the galaxies were created is at work in my life. And it's this Spirit that leads us to, uh, to fullness. Kind of without it, we're kind of hosed. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what does it mean to have have inner strength? And how does one get this power? Well, maybe those questions are asked in Paul's next petition, depth. So it says, so that, uh, Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell. It's a cool word. It means to settle down and to be at home. The idea, he says, is that Christ may finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts. And Paul uses two more words here to help us understand the depth to which we're set to settle down and find that strength. First, he uses the the word rooted, (coughs) which is an agricultural term. Uh, A root system does two things. One, it, it anchors the plant in place, resisting the forces of wind and running water and mud flow. But two, it takes in oxygen and water and nutrients from the soil and moves them up the plant through the stem and through the leaves and into the blooms. There, there isn't any strong or healthy tree without a strong and healthy root system. And, and, and roots are cool. They, they kind of, they, they work for them. So a, a redwood tree is so big and so strong, it, it, it grows strong because uh, most of its roots spread out so far. Yeah, you know, They only go down about 6 to 12 feet, but they spread out about 50 feet in every direction, and they link in with other redwood trees. <clears throat> but a shepherd's tree in southern Africa, that doesn't have a lot of trees around it to connect into, so it has to go deep. It goes almost 230 feet to find its foundation and its nutrients. So Paul is praying that his readers would have a root system that understands where to lock in and where to find life. For a Christian to grow strong, he must have, he or she must have spiritual roots driven deep into the love of God, but also wide enough to connect with others. So a good question to maybe ask yourself in this moment is, what do I draw my nourishment and stability from spiritually? And then he uses another word. So he uses rooted and now he uses the word established, and that's an architectural term. Uh, while attending college in Fresno as a construction management management major, I learned something pretty important. The most important part of the building is the foundation. I also learned that in Sunday school, but I learned it a little bit more in, in school. If you want to build a really tall building, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. So so, what do you do, so where do you dwell and what are you rooted and established in, are the questions that, that Paul is asking us. And so he says that you want to be rooted and established in love. The love of Christ. In life, the trials we face and how we handle them depends on how deep our love for Christ is. Um, uh, Dr. Barnhouse talks about this this lifestyle of love for others in in one of his books. He says, Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. And gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness and self-control is love holding the reins. The strength you find in Christ that affects your whole existence and interaction starts with the love of Christ for you and for your neighbor. So he continues with another petition, verses 18 through 19, a petition for comprehension. He says, may, uh, so that you may have the power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And this is where Paul basically says that God's love really doesn't even make that much sense to us. God, God's love doesn't make sense. How can the readers know something that is beyond something that they could ever know? It's big, it's vast, it's, it's like the universe. We know it's out there, we know it's huge, but we don't really know how huge. But he prays for his readers to comprehend it anyway. And I think that's because this idea of comprehension has to do with with mentally grasping something. And you only really understand something when you make it your own. Kind of like math. Only math people get math because they say they like math. Um, That's just their thing. I like math. I get math. I get it now. Math is weird. Paul wants us to help grasp this love of Christ. He wants us to make it our own. He wants us to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. It's infinite. It doesn't make sense to know it beyond knowing it and here's but here's what i think this verse means when i was in college i distinctly remember sitting in line at a baskin robbins and in that line i was aware i was distinctly aware of my identity as uh, i was carrying myself as like a sinner like i if i had an out-of-body experience i'd look at myself and be like look that's a sinner it was a weird feeling i felt ashamed i felt depressed i felt unworthy i felt weak and i didn't even do anything all i was doing was getting ice cream and i was but but i grew up in a church and I knew Jesus loved me, and I knew that God had what God had done for, for me, but for some reason, I never fully grasped that fully in the way that I think Paul is hoping his readers do. And so let's give credit to the Holy Spirit here, because something flipped in my brain in that line at Baskin-Robbins. I was like, wait a minute, yeah, I, I make mistakes, but God's love covers all of those mistakes. I shouldn't sit here feeling ashamed. I should feel joy. I should feel strong. I should feel loved. And for some reason or another, I think that was the first time I began to fully grasp that the love of Christ is as an identity-changing force in my life, and to fully let God love me. I mean, I still probably don't fully understand the breadth and length and depth and height of God's love for me. I don't know if anyone will, but it is my source of strength, and it can be the source of yours. So Paul has his fourth petition is for fullness. So if you're tracking with me here, because of what God has done, Paul is praying for strength in his friends, um, and that strength is rooted and established in um, deep and wide in God's ridiculous, unfathomable love. And now we get to the why. Why? So that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Now, Now, don't confuse this with the phrase of living life to the fullest. Paul makes a point here to say the fullness of God, not the fullness of yourself. I think there's a difference, because given the option, what's better for me and the world? The fullness of God or the fullness of Matt? Probably the fullness of God. I mean, I'm pretty cool, but I didn't speak creation into existence, so you know. So we're filled with the fullness of God. Well, how? Well, I think we go back to verse 16 and remind ourselves that it's the Holy Spirit at work within us. That means our fullness is the Holy Spirit. The, the, the measure of our fullness is God Himself. And and if that's still kind of hard to grasp, maybe think uh, of it all coming into play when you measure or examine or take inventory of your life or the people around you. Christians sometimes take the wrong measurement in examining their spiritual life. If you measure your spiritual life based on how many times you read the Bible, or how many times you've attended church, or how many times you've prayed, or how much you give, or how many Republicans or Democrats you voted for, if you aren't measuring on the fullness of God, you're measuring on the fullness of you. And when you measure with the fullness of you, and I measure with the fullness of me, we get problems. Because my love is not as deep and high as wide as God's, and neither is yours. We have limits. God doesn't. And when the church finds its strength in the deep, deep love of Christ, things change, because we're filled with God's love, and that's the way, and that's what we should be shooting for. I mean, if we take a step back and we remember Paul, he's on his knees in light of what God has done and he prays for his friends to be filled with all the fullness of God. His ultimate prayer isn't that, he, that we would attend the church potluck or go on that mission trip or pay off that mortgage or join a small group or stop some bad behavior. His prayer is for us to experience the fullness of God. His ultimate prayer is that people he loves knows beyond knowing how much God loves them. So maybe it's time to up our prayers for each other. Because if we walk around here at Harbor Cove or uh, in in Gig Harbor and we boast, wow, man, people don't really know Jesus and serve like we do, then we're measuring with the fullness of ourselves. And that's dangerous. Our measure should be in Christ. And there cannot be anything that we can boast about. Positionally, we are completed in Him. That's what God did. Practically, we enjoy the fullness of Christ in all aspects of our life. That's what we get to do now. And when, I think, and, w- and when I think we live in that reality, we become like those objects I mentioned before, finally realizing the fullest potential that we have. And that brings us to the end of chapter 3, where Paul gives a benediction. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Every word here conveys the vastness of God, of the power found in Jesus Christ. In fact, each chapter so far in Ephesians has ended with a praise to God. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23 talks about the incomparable great power for us who believe Um Ephesians two nineteen talks about how um, uh, we're built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit, and in our passage today, Paul is telling us that God's power is available to us—the power of Christ, a power far beyond human understanding, far beyond human measurement—is available to us. And it's my prayer that we that we paint that picture, uh, because I think that's how we understand how big and how vast God's love is. And so for the next 12 months, I would love to paint a a picture of the power of Christ at work in our lives. Because my story is just a fraction of the picture, and your story is just a fraction of the picture. But together, our stories of the power of God at work in our lives can tell a bigger story and a better story of how nonsensical and gigantic the love of Christ is, and how maybe that might make sense. So I need your help. I'm launching a new initiative called 50 Stories in 50 Weeks. I want to collect stories, um, either written or spoken or filmed on video, of where the power of Christ is at work in our lives at Harbor Cove, big or small. I'll use these stories to tell the larger story of God at work in the life of our church, and to give glory to God for all of it. So if you have a story, we want to hear about it. How the power of Christ is at work in your life. So head to HarborCove.Church, click on the share your story button, and tell us all about what God is doing, and we'll be in touch because the power of Christ is what we need as we walk and we carry on with our lives. To build great churches? To boast in our achievements? No, not at all. So that others may know the love of God in their own lives and and for the purpose of offering glory to God. God is able to do all, above all, like above, above all, above, 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 above all, beyond what we could imagine. Will you let him fill you with his fullness of love? Will you love others? out of that fullness. And so I have three questions for you. Does God's love for you make any sense to you? Why or why not? What would it mean for you to let God fully love you? And three, how can you love someone else in a way that doesn't make sense?